So if you're working with somebody and they have you on blood sugar, lowering supplements on top of making diet changes, it's overkill and it's too much. And I've actually had clients come to me um, with a history of really low blood sugars. And when I mean low, I'm talking less than 60 into the fifties and forties, which you do not want to get that low. Um, and so what I have to do is explain and educate these supplements that you're on are contributing to that. Hi, I'm Dr. Morgan Nolte, geriatric physical therapist, weight loss coach, and passionate disease prevention expert. I used to struggle with emotional eating, sugar cravings, and consistency. Then I learned how to lose the mental and physical weight once and for all with a low insulin lifestyle. Each week on the Reshape Your Health podcast, you'll learn simple, actionable, step-by-step strategies to help you do the same. If you're ready to create a body and life you love, you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Reshape Your Health podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Morgan Nolte, and today we have Ashley Simcox here with us. She's a registered nurse and a functional nutrition therapy practitioner. She's also a Zivli member, and um, she has provided some really great insight during our weekly office hours with members on digestive health, probiotics, prebiotics, uh, medications. And I just thought, you know, you're kind of a little wealth of information. I invited her on the podcast and just to give you a little bit of background, she worked uh, for 11 years in the emergency department where she witnessed firsthand the devastation of chronic illness on people's lives. So as a geriatric PT, I can hundred, I can 100% relate to that. And after dealing with a health setback herself, she found answers hard to come by in the conventional medical model that she'd worked in for so long. And she finally found healing in and made the choice to pursue functional nutrition, where she now helps those with chronic illnesses, discover the root cause of the illness and take back their life. So she takes a holistic approach to helping others heal without band-aids, um, and helps them to really understand and ideally reduce the medications that they need. So Ashley, I'm really excited to talk with you and just, just full disclosure for the listeners. We've already decided that this is going to be a multi-part podcast. So this is just part one. And our goal today is to dive into medications. I think with your background as a nurse, um, and in the functional nutrition therapy realm, you're going to be able to provide us with a lot of great information on things to look out for, you know, you, so let's just dive in. Like, why is this a passion of yours? Tell us a little bit of your background and then we'll get started with those medications. Awesome. Thank you, Dr. Morgan Nolte. It's an honor to be here and I'm really excited to have this time together. So what I got start, got me started into kind of where I'm at today is I was a nurse for 11 years. So I always, you know, wanted to help people heal. And I absolutely loved working in the emergency room. It's great because, you know, people have issues and you have a quick solution to those issues <laughs> in the emergency department. In 2017, I ended up becoming chronically ill after going through, um, a withdrawal syndrome from an antidepressant and SSRI that I was on and through that developed chronic fatigue syndrome and um, hormone imbalances. I even dealt with cardiac arrhythmia. So all kinds of things in my health just kind of took a nosedive after going, um, trying to taper off of an antidepressant, which doesn't happen to everybody, but there's a select few amount of people who, um, do suffer from this 
withdrawal syndrome or what we call protracted withdrawal syndrome. And so through that, um, like I said, I didn't have a lot of answers. Um, it wasn't really widely known why I was sick um, in practitioners that I was seeing at the time. So that really just jumpstarted me into a journey of learning about holistic health and doing all that I could on my own to heal. And that led me to the Nutritional Therapy Association, where I uh, completed the training to become a functional nutritional therapy practitioner. And now I see people that have various chronic illnesses um, heal from the root, uh, meaning what are the reasons why we're sick? And my job is to really get at that. Through my journey, um, working with other practitioners in this holistic space, I realized that people were reaching out to me with questions about their clients' medications. Like, yeah. my client is on this medication, and my, what do I do about that? And I thought, oh, wow, there's really a space in this holistic world um, to educate uh, practitioners as well as lay people about medications. Um, there's not always a lot of good medication um, information out there and there's not always informed consent when somebody does get on a medication. And so that, that's what really kind of inspired me to create the pharmacology courses and helping other practitioners as well as lay people understand their medications better. Yeah. And you have several, so I was looking through and you have like antacids, you have antidepressants, anxiety medications, uh, blood sugar, blood pressure, cholesterol, you know, we talk all the time about insulin resistance and some of the ones that come to the top of my mind would be those that acutely impact someone's vital signs, like blood sugar and blood pressure. Absolutely. So can you explain to us when someone starts to change their diet and their lifestyle to one that keeps insulin and inflammation low, mm -hmm. how does that impact? We'll start with blood sugar. And what kinds of things do they need to be looking out for related to their own medications? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. The, when somebody starts to go on a lower carb, lower sugar diet and an overall, just a less processed diet and more whole food, more blood sugar friendly diet. Um, and they're on a blood sugar lowering medication, such as metformin, which is a very popular one that I see quite often. Um, what's going to end up happening is if you cut your carbs and your sugar, and you're also on a certain dose of that medication, you could potentially end up with blood sugar lows. Um, oftentimes as well, some people are working with other um, holistic practitioners or nutritionists that might put them on certain supplements that lower blood sugar like chromium or berberine. And so if you're on a medication and on a supplement to drive sugar and you cut your sugar and carbohydrates down in your diet, you're at a risk for some, for like some really low, low blood sugars and some symptoms that that you might find if that's you is shakiness, irritability, um, really low um, blood sugar could be um, altered mental status or cognitive changes, sweating, paleness, diaphoresis. Those are some things that you would see, but at first you might feel kind of jittery and um, feeling like you really need to eat. Um, those are some signs um, and symptoms. What I typically recommend is if you are on a blood sugar lowering medication, any type, um, to not really be on those supplements. So if you're working with somebody and they have you on blood sugar lowering supplements on top of making diet changes, it's overkill and it's too much. And I've actually had clients come to me um, with a history of really low blood sugars. And when I mean low, I'm talking less than 60 into the fifties and forties, which you do not want to get that low. Um, and so what I have to do is explain and educate these supplements that you're on are contributing to that. 
And then even further than that is saying, here's some conversations you might want to have with your doctor Mm -hmm. as a functional nutritional therapy practitioner and registered nurse. It's not within my scope of practice to change doses, Mm -hmm. but I do a lot of helping my clients have those conversations with their doctor. So maybe that looks like you go to your prescribing provider and say, you know what, I've changed my diet. I eat way low, way less carbs. And way less sugar, and I'm having some of these low blood sugar symptoms. Is it possible that a dose change might be what I need? Um, and that typically happens um, as people are, are working to change not only their nutrition but also their lifestyle. Yep, and that's exactly what I recommend too. Um, usually, doctors don't really like to be bossed around, so right. <laughs> approaching it from like, do you think this is a good idea to reduce my blood sugar medication? Right. Um, instead of stopping altogether, you definitely want your your prescribing provider involved in the care. Um, yeah. So let me ask you this: When do you recommend having that conversation? Because we know that the lifestyle change can provide pretty immediate results for those blood sugars. So how do you prevent, um, going too low? You know? Great, great question. And um, that, and this is a conversation I have with all of my clients because it is so important is what you really want to do is make sure you have some whole food sources of a good sugar. Um, there are glucose tablets that you can go buy, but they're really processed and they're not that great for you. So I recommend having on hand honey, um, apples, you know, applesauce, even orange juice, which is a forbidden drink in the world of nutrition because it's so sugary, but it's worth it to have in that transition from being on a blood sugar lowering medication, being on blood sugar lowering supplements to changing over your diet and needing that safeguard just in case, because everybody's different. Some Mm -hmm. people might react to this transition better than others. And so having those things on hand to be able to be a quick sugar source um, will be super helpful. Um, the other thing I recommend is checking your blood glucose. I love keto mojo. I check my blood sugar quite often. And, um, there's also continuous blood sugar monitoring devices that you can attach onto your body that can kind of, um, give you a real time reading of your blood sugar. So if you have access to those things, those are great when you are working to, um, lower your, um, your diet that's full of carbohydrates and, um, and sugar while on certain medications. And then, Have you ever seen anyone proactively have the conversation with their doctor? Like, Hey, I'm going to start a lower carb lifestyle. Um, I don't want to overdose myself on my blood sugar lowering medications. Is there a point where I should hold my medication? And we're going to probably slide here into the blood pressure medications because it's very often where where you'll see on the bottle, you know, hold if systolic blood pressure is under 90 or pulse is under 60. Mm -hmm. Have you seen that approach with blood sugar medications? Yes, yes, absolutely. And a lot of practitioners provide prescribing providers are really good at when it comes to blood sugar. I feel like, cause this is something that doctors see so much. This education is really out there as well as the fact that a lot of diabetics and people in that pre-diabetic phase are getting diabetic education and they go into this. And I love that because it just compounds on, um, what I share, um, and that education is not, but that education is not always there. Um, so yes, what I recommend, um, and I have a little bit of wiggle room within my scope of practice because I am a registered nurse to be able to tell them if in the event of yeah. some of those symptoms I listed below, uh, listed earlier, as far as, um, you know, jitteriness, feeling kind of, whoa, like dizzy, um, alterminal status, sweating, those types of things, then yes, absolutely. You would hold your medication and doctors are really good about being able to explain that. And that's totally okay. Um, and I do kind of reinforce that as well. 
Okay. Let's shift the conversation into blood pressure. And then just so that, you know, in the back of your mind, if you're thinking of any medications that contribute to nutrient deficiencies or micronutrient deficiencies, definitely bring those up, uh, you know, as needed in the conversation. But this is another area where your blood pressure can really drop as your insulin goes down, because we know insulin raises aldosterone, which causes water retention, which increases blood pressure. Insulin goes down, blood pressure comes down. Similar recommendations here, checking your blood pressure, being sure that you're in communication with your physician. Um, Any other specific recommendations on signs of low blood pressure what to do if you're changing your diet, communication with the physician, et cetera. Yes, absolutely. I'm glad you brought this up. Um, blood sugar lowering medications and specifically one that comes to mind is lisinopril, which is an ACE inhibitor, angiotensin converting enzyme inhibitor inhibitor. And so what that does, it's going to act like a diuretic and it's going to lower blood sugar by lowering the fluid volume. And when it lowers, um, the fluid volume, it's doing that through the kidneys and the bladder. So you're losing a lot of not only water, but you're losing a lot of minerals and electrolytes. So the first thing that comes to mind is being sure you're replenishing those a little bit of sea salt, which is going to be to what you're hearing. If you have high blood pressure, you know, to stay away from salt, that's kind of, we could, we could get into that if we want, but that's kind of a little bit older. You want to stay away from more processed table salt, but a pinch of sea salt, quality sea salt is going to replenish minerals and going to, it's going to show, it's going to have good effects when it comes to the blood sugar, uh, blood pressure. Um, but yes, like you said, as insulin comes down, as blood glucose comes down, blood pressure also comes down. Some of those symptoms of low blood pressure can almost be very similar to those symptoms of low blood glucose. Um, in, considering the, the weakness, um, maybe the dizziness, because if your pressure is low, what I like to tell people about blood pressure is think of a water hose. When you take a water hose and you bend it, all that pressure is building up and then you release the water hose and the pressure goes out. That's going to be what your, your, your body's doing when the pressure, your blood pressure is high. When your blood pressure is low, think about that water hose when you've just barely turned on the faucet and there's just like a little bit of fluid going in. When that's happening, you're not getting perfusion to the brain. You're not getting perfusion to your extremities. Um, You just have very low blood pressure. And so any mental changes, um, any cold fingertips, I mean, that can also kind of get into thyroid world, but, um, but for this conversation, um, any type of, and and also just checking your blood pressure. It doesn't, I think you can probably go to Walgreens or CVS and get like a $20 blood pressure cuff and and check it home. You really don't want it, you know, normal blood pressure is 120 over 80 and everybody kind of lives at a different place, but you don't want to go much, you know, pretty significantly lower than that. Um, and then, yeah, if it gets really, really low, there can be different cardiac effects um, that can happen. And then just again, alter mental status, not enough blood flow to the brain. Yep. Another thing I think of is the beta blockers like uh, metoprolol. A lot of times people will, will hear about exercise intensities. We've, I've talked about zone two exercise intensity recently on the podcast. That's going to blunt the heart rate response. So you can't like keep working harder and harder, trying to get your heart rate up into the zone two or wherever you're trying to get it. So working on like an RPE, which is a rate of perceived exertion scale is going to be a better indicator of your exercise intensity than, um, the target heart rate things, because it's not going to work, uh, especially, you know, if you have a pacer or a beta blocker, Um, another 
with beta blockers too, is your pulse can go too low. So, you know, like you can check your blood sugar with a glucose monitor. You can check your blood pressure with a blood pressure cuff. You can check your pulse by simply putting two fingers on your neck or on your wrist um, to make sure your pulse isn't going too low. And, and if that does happen, um, then absolutely have that conversation with your doctor and you would hold the dose if it goes below, you know, 65 down kind of that getting down that low. Um, it, and everybody's a little different. I think that's yeah. kind of a general, so make sure you talk to your doctor about that, but yes. Um, and like you said, it would absolutely, um, interfere with those extra. I, I'm a big fan of orange theory. I love orange. Yeah. Theory. <laughs> my cousin does too. My cousin Maggie loves orange theory. Yes. Awesome. You can see what you're, you know, you can get into that, that orange zone and it's great. And, um, yeah. And if you're on a beta blocker, you can't expect to see those results as, as awesome. you would if you were not on one. Yep. I think that's great. And I cannot tell you how many times in home care I'd be doing a medication reconciliation and yeah. either with the patient or their caregiver, I would say, okay, you have lisinopril. I think that that was one of them. Are you aware that you're not supposed to take this medication? If your blood pressure, the top number is under 90, or if your pulse is under 60, mm -hmm. like, oh no, no one told me that, you know? And I think that kind of goes into this informed consent thing about medications and someone might be taking that and they have dementia or mild cognitive impairment and they can't check their own blood pressure. I mean, these are serious conversations that I think sometimes people who are prescribing the medications don't take into context, their social environment and all of their abilities to properly take their meds. And we know that polypharmacy and adverse medication events are a huge risk of hospitalizations for older adults. So yeah. This yeah, is a really big passion of mine and mm -hmm. reducing the polypharmacy is huge. You know, it's so important for quality of life. Absolutely. Yes. Polypharmacy is a big deal because what ends up happening when I was an ER nurse, we did medication reconciliations on every admit and people come in with their grocery sack full of all of their medications that one medication to, that you take one medication to treat the side effects of that medication to treat the side effects. And then it goes on and on and on. And even as a nurse back then, before I was really into holistic health, I, I even knew just back then, like, this can't be healthy. This is a lot of medication. Um, and, and as a nurse, I don't even know if I know all the side effects of all the 20 medications that this person is on, let alone somebody who doesn't have that medical training. So yes. So doing things like this to really help educate people, the more knowledge people have about their health, especially with their medications, the better they can make the best choices for themselves. Yes. And if you're a caretaker, we know we have a lot of caretakers on here, you know, really advocating for your aging parents that they are on as few medications as possible and that they're being administered properly. Um, so I think another thing to talk about is thyroid function. We had one of our members who was hypothyroid. And so she was on a thyroid stimulating hormone medication. I don't know which one. And she was experiencing as she was changing her lifestyle, more anxiety, more sleeplessness, more symptoms of hyperthyroidism. Yes. And so yeah. to me, I did some research and what I found was that as your insulin sensitivity improves, your thyroid hormone sensitivity improves, and you can also become over thyroid medicated and yeah. experience those symptoms of hyperthyroidism. Yeah. Will you speak a little bit more in depth on what's going on there and what people can do to be more proactive about those symptoms? 
Yes, yes. I see this a lot in my practice. And while it's not great at first, it's a good sign that things are falling back into order. Your thyroid is coming back online. So we'll, I'll, I'll recheck a thyroid panel and I'll look and I'll say, whoa, your T3. So T3 is your active thyroid hormone. That's your hormone that's going to speak to the cells. Um, just a little bit of thyroid physiology. Your thyroid's going to produce two. It's going to produce T4 and T3. And it's, it's only going to produce a little bit of T3, but it's going to produce a lot of T4. Well, the cells don't talk to T4, they talk to T3. And so T4 has to get converted into T3. And where does this happen? This happens in the liver. And so not only when you're changing your lifestyle around, you're eating healthier, you are getting cholesterol down, your liver has less of a burden to, of all the other toxicities and things that's going on. It's you're up, you're going to upregulate thyroid conversion. So guess what's going to happen? You're little piddly T3 is now going up higher because the, 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 the liver is able to do its job better and you lean into this hyperthyroid state. And so now you're off the walls or you have high heart rate or um, you're losing weight. So you kind of just have this, like you, this, this switch, this happens all of the time. And so it can be for two reasons. It can be um, again, like I said, that things are coming back online and perhaps you didn't you can go down on the dose. And this is probably the most common I see in my practice of having that conversation with my clients about, please talk to your doctor about going perhaps lower um, on these thyroid hormones because you are kind of high now. Um, and we like to see T3 up above three. Um, and so sometimes I'll see somebody and they'll be really low and then I'll check it and I'll see 3.8 or four. And I'm like, Oh my word, things are falling back into place. And sometimes too, that is because of the actual medication, but it can be both. It can be that the medication is causing it to go higher, but it can also be those lifestyle changes that, um, make it go higher as far as supporting the liver, getting nutrients like iodine and selenium. Those are going to increase thyroid conversion. So more T4 is going to be converted into T3. And remember that high T3, is what causes this hyperthyroid symptoms. Mm -hmm. And I think that I've heard on other podcasts and things, if, if you're only getting like your, um, thyroid stimulating hormone and your T4 checked, you're not getting the, the real picture of the health of your thyroid. Is that kind of Absolutely. It's probably oh. one of my biggest pieces. Okay. <laughs> the thyroid panel that I run in my practice is 10 tests. You're testing not only free thyroid hormones, you're testing total thyroid hormones and you are testing um, reverse T3 and T3 uptake. So how is cortisol and adrenal stress playing into thyroid health? We're testing thyroid antibodies. Is there an autoimmune component to um, why you have thyroid issues in the first place? And um, so, yeah. And then there's other things such as selenium, you know, liver enzymes, go a long way with looking at thyroid. So one of the biggest things in functional medicine and functional nutrition is a full comprehensive thorough assessment of the thyroid. And yes, you can get some information from a TSH in a T3, but you don't know if it's a conversion issue. You don't know if there's a toxicity issue, a cortisol issue. And remember TSH thyroid stimulating hormone, that is a brain hormone that is going from the brain to the thyroid. So it's not really considered a thyroid hormone. It's more of a brain hormone to the thyroid. And so, and that has a lot, the TSH has a lot of wiggle room and can be off for some other reasons. So it doesn't necessarily mean that just because your TSH is high, that you have hypothyroid. Okay. That's good to know. And then are you aware of any direct link between insulin resistance and hypothyroidism? Just kind of a random question off the top of my head. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure of the direct, you might have a better answer than me, but that I can also understand how, again, that goes back to the liver and insulin 
you know, when there's a sluggish liver and then there's also, you know, you have triglyceride issues and, you know, you're not properly being able to detoxify and break down fats and things like that. There is a, I guess that it wouldn't be direct, but maybe like an indirect, um, relationship with the pancreas and insulin secretion, but I'm not a hundred percent sure, um, of a direct link. Do you, okay. do you happen to No, it was just a random question that I was like, Oh, I wonder I'll ask it. I mean, the whole body's connected. There's always an indirect link. And especially when you're dealing with the metabolic health and and, and endocrine health. So absolutely. But, um, can't think of, there might be somebody that's listening right now that has more information on that. (laughs) If you do, you can email. Um, okay. I wanted to also talk about statins. This is one of my least favorite medications as a geriatric physical therapist. I see it over prescribed again and again and again causing side effects. If you're not aware, check your own self or check your parents for side effects of cognitive impairment. So like memory loss or sluggish memory, um, muscle weakness, and then increased blood sugars. And often with insulin resistance, we really see that rise in cholesterol. Um, even though that's a whole nother podcast on why we don't care about total and LDL cholesterol, but they're prescribed a statin to lower this, you know, high cholesterol, quote unquote, whatever, but, but it makes their diabetes worse and it makes their muscle soreness worse and it makes their cognition worse. Right. Right. So what are some considerations that we need to have specifically as it relates to how do statins contribute to any nutrient deficiencies or other things like that? And how can we have that conversation with the physician on, is this really an essential medication for me to take? Yeah, oh, man, I, I share your, your thoughts on, um, uh, statins. <laughs> it's, a, it's a bit frustrating for several reasons. The first we can talk about is it depletes the body of coenzyme Q10, which is very important for mitochondrial function. And so some of those side effects that you just listed really come down to mitochondrial dysfunction. The mitochondria, if you're not familiar is the powerhouse of the cell. So every cell has mitochondria and mitochondria creates energy. And um, so that way you can have proper functioning of the systems, the organs, the whole body. And so when you're depleted of coenzyme Q10, mitochondria is an, is, is not going to work as well. The ATP production is going to suffer. And so being able to supplement, if you have to be on a statin, being able to supplement with a good quality coenzyme Q10 is going to be the first step. Um, statins also create deficiencies in certain B vitamins and you need B vitamins for, um, liver detoxification for energy production. And so again, going back to those side effects of, um, the of statins is, is, is those B vitamin deficiencies that can also happen. The other thing to remember is cholesterol is the precursor to reproductive hormones. And so if we are if we are lowering cholesterol too much, which can happen on statins, because statins are pretty powerful. Um, in, in, in some cases we lower them too much. And now we have issues with, um, reproductive hormones and things like that. And so really being able to understand that these side effects are important, but that there's also other ways to get cholesterol down, which you do such a great job of with Inzibly being able to help people understand that, you know, your metabolic health, what you eat, how you move, all of that is so important to bring cholesterol down. If in the event it actually is too high, or you have an LDL pattern that does put you at risk for heart disease, not necessarily that you have high cholesterol, like you had mentioned earlier. Um, and so that is definitely worth a conversation with your doctor. And, and again, I mean, it depends on the, the doctor, the prescribing provider, um, you know, how open they'll be to that, but 
typically if you're showing them that you're working and you're eating healthy and at the end of the day, it's your choice. You have medical autonomy at the end of the day to make those choices for yourself. Um, but yes, absolutely. The, the statins are, are a big problem. And I'll actually go as far as to share. Um, my father was on um, statins for quite a while and ended up with um, liver cirrhosis at this, at this point. Um, and I, you know, would have to wonder for someone who never drank a drop of alcohol in his life, how much did, and I don't say this to scare anybody, but how much did the effect of being on statins for that long, which are supposed to help the liver actually contribute to liver burden. Um, so there's a lot to unpack with statins. I don't know if I answered your question completely or not. <laughs> yes, you did. And I have one more thing to add. Yeah. So if you're not familiar yet, or if you haven't been following me for a while, I'm very big on educating how to properly interpret your blood lipid panel. And I have a couple really awesome resources. The first is an interview with Dr. Casey means and Dr. Robert Lustig. I will put that in a link. He does such a good job outlining why we don't care about total cholesterol and LDL cholesterol. And then I have a little YouTube shorts series. I'll put down there too, about the difference between LDLC, which is LDL cholesterol and LDLP, which is your LDL particle number. Your LDL particle number is what matters most as it relates to your cardiovascular risk. They're not checking that on the standard lipid lipid panel. You can get kind of a quasi estimate through the triglyceride to HDL ratio. So take your triglycerides divided by your HDL. We want that under two, preferably closer up to a one-to-one -one ratio, but they do have a lipoprotein test. I believe it's called to test LDLP. So before you start a statin, or if you're already on a statin and it was prescribed solely on your total cholesterol or your LDL cholesterol, and they didn't look at your triglyceride to HDL ratio, and they didn't look at your LDL particle number, that's a follow-up conversation with your physician to dig deeper. Yeah. So that's my plug there on, <laughs> on the yeah. cholesterol and on the statin, because I think it's so important, like you said, to be fully informed of the side effects and of the necessity of medications and why they're being prescribed. Right. Right. Um, and I'll even add on that. I know some prescribers are putting people on statins just with high triglycerides. So really? you know, yeah. And which is so dietary in nature, we know this, but um, yeah, you'll also see that as well. And so just looking at a, a high triglyceride only doesn't necessarily mean that you, a statin would be the best best choice in that case. Yes. Well, thank you. And we're going to talk a little bit of a segue here into part two, we're going to touch on antibiotics. Um, and this one came up in office hours because one of our members had C. diff, I believe it was had to take an antibiotic was experiencing a lot of gut issues. And that's kind of where I pulled you into the office office hours conversation because you're more well-versed you're, you're well-versed in gut health, um, and prebiotics and probiotics. And let's just talk about that. Let's talk about how antibiotics can harm or impair gut health. Um, and then we can kind of segue into what to do about it in part two. Yeah, absolutely. So C. diff, Clostridium difficile is a, is a really nasty bug. And my heart goes down to anybody that deals with that because, um, the site, the, the manifestations of that include, you know, diarrhea, really bad diarrhea, feeling just awful. Um, so that's a really hard bug to have. I take the approach of the terrain theory versus the germ theory. And what I mean by that is yes, there is a time and a place for antibiotics. Antibiotics save lives. Um, and especially in the case of Clostridium difficile, yes, Yes, you, there's, there's a need sometimes, but if the antibiotics aren't working, we have to look at the terrain. And what I mean by that is 
what is the terrain in which the gut is, is that's allowing these opportunistic infections to cause um, disease in the body, right? And so, you know, we can take things to kill bugs or we can create a strong terrain to where those bugs don't take up residence and manifest and, and take over, right? Um, when antibiotics are used and they kill the bug, okay, great. But now we have to look at what was the cost from, of doing that. And again, sometimes it's absolutely necessary, but sometimes it's not because when you take antibiotics in your, in your microbiome in your gut, you have commensal bacteria, you have um, a bunch of good guys. And then you also have bad guys. We need good bacteria to be able to, you know, break down food that we eat, um, to synthesize certain vitamins, vitamin K is synthesized in the gut to be able to detox and break down things like estrogen and things like that. So we need good guys in the gut. Okay. That's kind of the simple way to put it. But however, when, um, you know, diet's not good, stress is high, antibiotics specifically are being used, then we have this imbalance or dis dysbiosis in the gut where the, the bad guys or the opportunistic infections, um, which used to be good guys, but in their normal amounts become higher than the good guys. Mm -hmm. Now we have um, this dysregulated bowel. And um, unfortunately, antibiotics cr contribute to this because they'll go and they'll kill kind of all of the above, right? So especially broad, spe broad spectrum antibiotics that just go in and kind of wipe out all of the good guys and all of the bad guys. And now we're just left with a lot of times the opportunistic infections like candida and yeast specifically after the use of antibiotics. And so now we have to go in and we have to re um, reseed, re-inoculate, restore the gut. Um, and deal with those opportunistic infections that are now there because of the use of the antibiotics. And can you just give a couple examples of those broad spectrum antibiotics so people can kind of rack their brain and was I on that one? Yeah. So anything penicillin is a broad spectrum antibiotic. Um, yes, mainly in the penicillins, Zosin, um, and yeah, I think those are the main ones that anything in the penicillin group would be broad spectrum. Okay. So that's also be, and then the sulfurs as well. Okay, perfect. And I think that that's a good place to wrap up part one and part two, what we're going to do. Well, you can tell them what we're going to do in part two. Yeah. So in part two, we're going to talk about kind of, okay, now you've taken antibiotics and you have kind of this gut dysbiosis. Maybe you have signs and symptoms of a candida or yeast overgrowth, and we need to kind of deal with what do we do now? Um, I actually even have some tips on what you can do while you're on antibiotics to help mitigate some of that. So we'll definitely discuss and dive in on, on that, dive into that on part two, for sure. Perfect. And we're also just going to give people a nice overview of gut, you know, like What's the difference between the upper and the lower GI system? When is it appropriate to take a prebiotic versus a probiotic? How do we know that the supplements we're taking are quality? So I think that that'll be a really fun, valuable episode. So be sure to tune in and let our audience know where they can learn more about you before we hop off. Absolutely. So you can find me at my website, ashleysimcox.com. And that's Ashley with two E's or on Instagram at Ashley Simcox. Perfect. Okay. We'll talk soon. Okay. Thank you, Dr. Morgan Nolte. Yep. Thanks for listening to the Reshape Your Health podcast today. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, leave a rating and review, and don't forget to tell a friend. To learn more and connect online, check out the links in the show notes.